Let's hope you feel that way at the end of it, Jim. By the way, thank you for the flowers. We appreciate that. Um, I'm sure Jackie will be able to do something wonderful with those. Um, I don't know why at these things you don't give the guy a wrench or a spanner. Or Every time you do something like this in a church, you get flowers. So it's not a bag. It's a great thing. It's, it's fantastic to get flowers. But just as a guy, every now and then, please, something, somebody. Think about the men. Think about the men. Cake. Okay, I'm going to eat a lot of cake too, by the way. Get right into that stuff. I didn't hear anything. Welcome to church this morning. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Aneg. I'll eat that later. Welcome to church this morning, uh, Easter Sunday. And uh, it's good to see some of the Arise guys have travelled down uh, as well. Uh, I was going to um, um, separate you know, the sheep and the goats on one side, and, but uh, we, won't, we won't do that because we're all one big happy family here. Uh, Easter is uh, a great time of year for, uh, for, for, uh, for believers. I think it's more significant time of year than, than Christmas. Uh, I don't think many people could argue with the fact that a man called Jesus was born 2,000 years ago uh, in the Middle East. Um, it's in the Bible. It's outside the Bible. There are historical documents that document that. The catching point, or I guess a stumbling point for the world, is, is this whole issue of resurrection. Did this guy rise from the dead? Did this guy, uh, was he actually buried and somehow did he miraculously, supernaturally come back to life? Did this uh, actually happen? Uh, and a lot of us believe that. And if you are a, a, a Christian here today, then I'm assuming, making an assumption that you believe in the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Because that is the issue for us. That is the thing that we hang our faith upon. If that happened, fantastic. If it didn't happen, then the Apostle Paul actually goes on to say that we should be pitied above all men because we are wasting our time. Our faith is futile. Our preaching is futile. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we should be out there. Well, you can't really go out to the beach today. It's pretty, pretty not the best sort of weather and stuff. But I'm sure there are other things you could be doing today. You could be cleaning your kitchen. Uh, you know, you could be doing some gardening, you could be watching uh, Wide World of Sports, the footy show on, this, you could be doing all kinds of things this morning. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you are to be pitied. I feel sorry for you people sitting here in this building when all that stuff's going on out there. But, praise God, I do believe that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And that's what we come here this morning to celebrate. We call it Easter, or more appropriately, we call it Resurrection Sunday. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why I'm here. I found this story the other day because I know I'm not the only person that believes that. I know Hands up if you believe that here this morning. There's a couple of people here. I'm sure that share that opinion. There's seven over there, three here. That's excellent. That's good. I like an audience like this. Uh, a man and his ever-nagging wife went on vacation to Jerusalem. While they were there, the wife passed away. The undertaker told the husband, you can have a shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. The man thought about it and told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your wife home when it would be wonderful to be buried here in the Holy Land and it's only going to cost you $150? The man replied, long ago, a man died here, was buried here, and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't afford to take that chance. Okay, husbands lean over to your wives now and tell them you would, have, you would have got them home, you would have paid the money, wouldn't you? Wives, lean to your husbands, tell them how cheap they are. It is a great day. 
to be in church today. Did you know that in the Bible there are over 300 verses that talk about the resurrection of Jesus? There are over 300 passages in that book that we read that talk about the fact that Christ was raised from the dead. Did you know that back in the day when it happened that the religious leaders or the Roman leaders could have killed this whole thing? We're sitting here a couple of thousand years after the fact. A couple of thousand years after the fact. It could have all been killed on the fourth day. All the religious leaders had to do was produce a body and go, ha, tricked you. He didn't rise from the dead. Here he is. All the Roman authorities had to do was produce a body, parade it through the streets and go, here, you know this Jesus guy that has been walking the earth for three years and he's been doing miracles and healing people and setting people free and talking about the kingdom of God and talking about freedom and liberty and talking about, you know, all they had to do was to bring out a body and Christianity would have died four days after it started. Four days. After Jesus was crucified on that cross, this whole myth could have been dispelled. But it wasn't because the Romans didn't have the body. It wasn't because the religious leaders didn't have the body. It was because Jesus actually rose from the dead. You know, the disciples could have caved in under the pressure. They could have caved in under the pressure of this false religion, this ideology that we call Christianity, this great moral foundation of beliefs that the world calls Christianity. All they would have had to have done is turned around and said, you know what? No, it didn't really happen. <laughs> Sorry about that trick, Jesus. We, we, we went along for a few years, yeah, but look, you got a sword to my throat. I'm just going to tell you it never happened. You know, the 12 disciples, they all went on and they were killed. And I don't mean, um, you know, theoretically or they were physically, literally killed because they so believed that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Have you ever believed anything with that much passion? Have you ever believed anything with that much fervor? That if somebody walked in here right now, I wonder. I can't answer that with complete honesty because I don't know. I'd like to think I would, but I'm not in that position. But let's imagine somebody came running into this building this morning and put a gun to your head. And it happens. It does happen around the world where there are Christians in nations where Christianity is not cool. It's not acceptable. As a matter of fact, it's downright illegal to worship Jesus. But they get together and they do it anyway. And they do it under fear that somebody could barge through the door right now with a gun, put it to your head and say the words, you deny this Jesus or I'll pull the trigger. And it's a reality and it happens. These guys are under the same situation. They could have easily just turned around and said, Rightio, no worries, this is costing me too much. I'm just going to say I don't believe it anymore and life will go on and, and, you know, maybe in a quiet corner somewhere I can just repent to God and say, look, I'm sorry, it was a moment of pressure. And God in his grace and mercy, he would have forgiven them and loved them. And they still would have made it into heaven. But there was something, there was a conviction in them that when I can't deny it, it's like saying the sun won't rise tomorrow. Guess what? It will. It's not going to rise whether you believe it or not. It's got nothing to do with what you think. It's a fact. The sun will rise and the sun will set. It's a fact. It can't be changed and it has nothing to do with your belief system. And that's how they felt about the resurrection. What's the point? We can't deny it. It's a fact. And they so believed it that they went on and lost their lives for this fact of the resurrection of Jesus. What about the existence of the church worldwide today, 2,000 years after that event. You know, Christianity is massive around the world. There are millions of us. We are not the only ones 
there's more out there's more of us out there more of us out there Reminds me of a cartoon I saw once. There were two Roman soldiers and they were standing beside the empty tomb. And one looked deeply troubled by the empty tomb, while the other was shrugging his shoulders and saying, eh, don't worry about it. hundred years from now, who's going to remember? Well, guess what we're doing today? We're remembering the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried and was resurrected. And he did it for us. I was watching, um, I don't know if any of you saw uh, on TV the other night, you know that show... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, oh, that one. What's Titanic? Titanic. Anyone see that on TV the other day? I didn't. I'm just saying I know it was on. I saw Titanic was on. Um, it's not my kind of movie, but Titanic was on. And I remember the dying towards the end of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, all you Titanic fans. Towards the end of the movie, doesn't it end with, with um, Kate Winslet floating on something and Leonardo DiCaprio in the water saying, no, no, you go up there, you, you get out of the water, you be safe, I'll be your hero and I'll save you and you can float on there and then he just drifts off down and gives his life for this woman that he loves. Is that how it ends? Yeah, and that's considered one of the most romantic stories of all time, one of the greatest love stories that we've ever seen, ever been put on film, you know? Let's break it down. Leonardo only did that because she loved him too. There was something in it for him. You know what the Bible tells us about the death of Jesus? It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't care about him, when we weren't interested in him, when we had no passion for him, when we wanted to live our own lives, when we didn't want his input, when we didn't want God's opinion, when we didn't want God to have uh, any part of our human existence. As a matter of fact, when mankind was not only saying, I don't want you involved, but running out there in the complete opposite direction, doing its own thing. That was the point where the Bible tells us that God died for us, that Jesus gave his life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. I think that's a bit more powerful love than Leonardo DiCaprio. God did this in the hope And the belief that mankind would come to their senses and realize that, you know what, that's the greatest love you're ever going to see. It's the greatest love you're ever going to experience. There is, you can't go beyond that. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. But the truth is he laid down his life for his enemies as well. When he was being crucified on that cross and the soldiers were there and people were mocking him. And Jesus calls out to the Father and he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's love. That's love. And that's what we celebrate at Easter. It's not this little dainty picture of Jesus hanging like this with a little drop of blood. And then he just disappears off into a tomb. And then he just wakes up one day and goes, hey, here I am. He went on to change the world. And those people who put their faith in him, went on to change the world. And faith in Jesus in 2016 will change your life. It's changed mine. And it's changed the lives of many people here today. Without doubt, the greatest proof of Christ's resurrection is going to be found in the lives of all of us who have placed our faith in him. You know, I have some down days and I have some up days. But I can tell you one thing. I don't doubt the love of God for me. I don't doubt God's presence in my life. I don't doubt the reality of God. I have some lows, but I can imagine they'd be so much more lower if I didn't have God. I've had some highs. I've had some fantastic highs, but I've had some rough things that have come at me in my life, some things that have been thrown at me. 
some experience of some things I've experienced of my own accord. Some had nothing to do with me, but I was stuck smack bang in the middle of it because of circumstances that I had nothing to do with. But I can tell you this, through the lowest of the lows, I know that I know that I know that I have a God with me. I know that I know that God will get me through anything that comes my way and I'll make it out the other end. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We all walk through valleys and they're all shadowy and we walk through, through things that look like they're going to end our lives. They're going to end this part of my world. I, 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 I can't deal with this. This is going to be the breaking point. But we walk through that with God. And this is the hope that we have. This is what Resurrection Sunday reminds us of. This great hope that we have in God. I know no matter how low I get, it'll be a whole lot lower and darker if it wasn't for God in my life. If you've got a Bible there, can you just open up to Matthew 28? Matthew 28. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Sounds cool, doesn't it? Sounds kind of cool. Like it would have taken a whole bunch of Roman soldiers. That was a big sucker of a stone. It's not like a, it's big. And it would have taken many, many soldiers to push this. And an angel comes and just flicks it and then sits on it like, hey, look what I can do. The angel rolls the stone away and then sits there on the tomb. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. How many of us are still looking for a crucified Jesus? Just a historical figure that perhaps we can look to as a great moral teacher. Maybe we can just look to him as a bit of a spiritual guide. Well, he's not crucified. He's risen. He's alive. They went there looking for a crucified Jesus. The angel said, that doesn't exist anymore. He's risen. In verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Imagine what these disciples would have been feeling at the time. You know, when we hear these words right now, it means something to us. But it means something to us 2,000 years after the fact that he was raised from the dead. So we read this now, and this is just a passing historical note that gives us a bit of understanding as to how we got this right position before God, how we got access back to the Father. That's what we read here. But try to imagine what these early disciples would have felt when the angel came when Mary came and told them these things, they weren't on the resurrection side yet. They were still sitting there, unsure, uncertain, broken. Imagine the hopelessness that they felt. You see, they followed this guy around for years and they thought that this guy was, you know, he's going to lead Israel and we're going to have a great revival and the nation's going to get its dominance again. We're going to be a great political nation He's going to lead us and we follow him around and he raises the dead and he feeds thousands and he opens blind eyes and he cleanses lepers and he refutes the most wise of the religious scholars of the day. He challenges the authorities. He has courage, composure, all these things. And then he gets taken and nailed to a cross and dies. 
I wonder what they felt like on the inside. All the hopes, all the dreams of a bright future. All the things that he had told them were going to come to pass. What the future would look like. All of a sudden it's just shattered. They're not reading this 2,000 years later. They're living it at the moment. Well, hang on a second. The plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you a hope and a future, you're dead now. You're going to set us free. We're going to see the kingdom. You're dead now. I can imagine it would have been an empty feeling. We know it it had some sort of negative connotation to them because as we look at the lives of the disciples, at that point, many of them went back to their old lives. They went back to what they knew. They, They went back to their default setting of life. I'm just a fisherman, so I've just been shattered. My dreams are shattered. My future's shattered. I don't know what's going on here, and so I go back to what I'm comfortable with. I go back to that way of life that I know. I wonder how many of us have been a bit like that too. You know, we might have come to Christ and we had this amazing encounter and we got excited about God and we were excited about the future and and God begins to speak to you. You know what? You think that you're nothing, but I'm telling you, you're something. You've been told by the world from the day you were born that you're useless. I'm telling you, you have great, great value. You've been told by the world that there's, 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 there's no future out there for you. You've been told by the world that you're insignificant. I want to tell you, you're so significant that I sacrificed myself on the cross for you. That's how significant you are. But the world tells us this and we're brought up a certain way. We think certain things and so on. And you know, when we come to Christ, I remember my sister years ago, she gave her heart to the Lord many, many years ago. And I remember her saying, making this statement to me. She said to me, she said, Alan, I can't explain it. But she said, I woke up the next morning and I felt like the birds in the trees were actually singing to me. This is my sister's words to me. She said, I can't explain it. I don't know why or how it happened, but I, I, I felt like the birds were actually singing straight to me. She had this amazing experience with God. And many of us, when we come to faith, we have that great experience. We encounter Jesus. It's exciting and great things are happening. But somewhere along the way, we can lose that. Somewhere along the way, we can look up and situations and circumstances have changed. And before we know it, the passion begins to die. The commitment begins to wane. Compromise begins to creep in. Things that we once believed in faith, we now start to question. There's nothing wrong with questioning things, by the way. But instead of questioning with an open heart, we begin to question looking for the negative answer, trying to find things to justify the way that we want to go or the things that we want to believe now. And it happens subtly. It happens subtly. We begin to lose that passion. I reckon the disciples might have felt a little bit like that as they walked through this part of the crucifixion story. They're not reading it 2,000 years later. This is happening for them. It's in the now. It's in the now. And the angel speaks these words. Go quickly and tell his disciples three things. Number one, go and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Number two, that he's going before them into Galilee. And number three, you will see him. You will see him. The first thing that Mary had to tell them was, he's risen. I want to tell you again this morning, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's happening in your world right now, for one second, just brush it to the side and say to yourself, Jesus is risen. 
I'm not here today to mourn the death of a man. I'm here to celebrate the resurrection of God. We're here to celebrate this morning. It's a great day. It's a great day. Without today, the Christian faith means nothing. Without today, the Christian faith is just a great philosophy. Without today, I don't want to be here. Jesus is risen. Remind yourself of that. Let today be a reminder that you serve a resurrected and a living God. Now, late one night, I found this story the other day. I thought it was good. Late one night, a burglar broke into a house that he thought was empty. He tiptoed through the living room, but suddenly he froze in his tracks when he heard a loud voice saying, Jesus is watching you. Silence returned to the house. So the burglar crept forward again. Jesus is watching you. The voice boomed again. The burglar stopped dead again. He was frightened. Frantically, he looked around the room. In the dark corner, he spotted a bird cage, and in the cage was a parrot. He asked the parrot, was that you who said Jesus is watching me? Yes, said the parrot. The burglar breathed a sigh of relief. Then he asked the parrot, what's your name? Clarence, said the bird. That's a dumb name for a parrot, sneered the burglar. What idiot named you Clarence? The parrot said the same idiot who named the Rottweiler Jesus. Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching you. You know, our faith doesn't rest in the fact that we can always see God. Our faith rests in the fact that God can always see us. Amen? God can see you right now. God knows what's going on in your world. God knows the pressures that you face. God knows the situations that you're in. God knows the circumstances that are trying to snow you under. God knows all that stuff. And even if right now you can't see a resurrected Jesus, even right now if you can't see the power of God at work in your life, let me tell you something. God is watching you. God is looking. and God is aware. Jesus is there. Didn't the disciples already know this? I mean, how many times did Jesus tell them, I'm going to die, be buried, and resurrected. I'm going to die, be buried, and resurrected. I'm going to die, be buried, and resurrected. How many times times do you have to say something to someone before it gets into their head? I still haven't worked that one out. Clean your room. 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 Won't go any more personal than that. Time and time again. They don't mean God's plans. They're all for it. They agreed with it. They said all the right stuff. Let me ask you a question. How many times does God have to say things to you? How many times does God have to tell you that he loves you? Before you start believing that over your situations and your circumstances. How many times does God have to tell you that he has a plan for your life? How many times does God have to tell you how special you are before we start to believe it? How many times does God have to tell you, no, no, I've told you there's a plan and a purpose for your life. I told you you would be here. I told you you would go there. I told you you would achieve this. I told you that I'm taking you to this place. But we get caught up on the journey and we look around and we go, man, this, this can't be. I'm way over here, God. You said this. And we get frustrated and we throw our faith out. We get our eyes off a resurrected Jesus and we start looking at a crucified one. We stop looking at the power of God. We stop trusting God. We get sideswiped with things that come our way. What a greater way to allow a destiny to die than to take your eyes off what God has said 
and to focus on your circumstances and your situations. I remember when I was uh, 18 years of age, I got saved when I was about 19. So this was before Jesus' days, my BFD. And uh, I used to get, me and my mates used to go out to uh, South Ballon caravan park because it was less built up you know back this is i'm going back 20 something years ago now and we used to go over to south balna caravan park and uh, and on the beach there and we would do what boys used to do back in the day and stuff and i remember one time i was on a uh, the back of a motorbike we, we me and me and two friends rode into town and we said so we drove up the south balna uh, the, the road there went across the ferry and there was a, a bottle shop over west balna so we went in there and did what what, what we did we got our supplies, we jumped on the bike, and we came back across the ferry. Once we got across the ferry, all three of us jumped on the motorbike. So instead of just one guy, there was all three of us on. There was My mate um, Neil was riding the bike up the front. I had a mate, Ben, in the middle, and I was the one on the back, sort of sandwiching everyone together. And we're driving along the road, and we're coming down the street here, and we would have been doing about 40 k's an hour on this motorbike. And I was, I was focused, you know, of course, you're on the, I'm third on the bike, so you're focused on what you're doing, and I'm committed to hanging on. I don't want to fall off this thing. and I'm committed to, to the task at hand. As we're driving along, my brain started to drift off to other things. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, yeah, we've stopped now. You can jump off, Al. So 40 k's an hour, I jumped off. You know what happens when you jump off a motorbike at 40 k's an hour? Your head hits first, then your feet, then your head, then your feet, then your head, then your feet, and you roll up the road. And I jumped up, and I, I have this, this self-defense mechanism when I'm hurting that I need to find a corner, protect myself. So I dove into the bushes, which wasn't a smart idea either, getting stabbed and cut up by bushes and thorns, everything like that. And, 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 and I ended up all grazed up my arms and, and, and took bark off me everywhere. It all happened because I got distracted by another voice. Instead of listening to the guy that was driving the bike, the guy that was in control... I listened to Ben. It turned out it was Ben, you know, Ben Taylor. It was my mate in the middle who thought he'd have a bit of a laugh and say, hey, Al, we've stopped now. You can jump off. I was so distracted, I didn't even notice the bike was doing 40 k's an hour. And so I jump off this motorbike. How many of us jump off during the journey because we get distracted by other things? How many of us jump off too early? We're not at the destination yet. We haven't made it. God's still at work. He's still doing things in our life. Yes, he's told us this is what life's going to look like. And then he takes us on a journey to get us ready to be able to live in that place, to get us ready to be able to achieve that thing, to be successful at that thing. And we're on that journey and we get distracted by other things. And we jump off before the de- the, the, we reach that destination, before the journey is complete. We jump off because we get distracted by other things. We take our eyes off the fact that Jesus is actually resurrected and we start looking for a crucified Jesus. We start looking for just religious boundaries or we start looking for for guidelines or we start looking for right and wrong and we lose the life and the vibrancy of a connected living relationship with God. Life is not set up in such a way to push you down the path God wants you to go. Life is set up in such a way that the world is trying to pull you away from that stuff. Because the world system says you have no value. Unless, of course, you can run really fast and play football. But then you've only got you know, value to your 35 and the West Tigers don't want you anymore. <laughs> Robbie Farrah. Or the Sharks pick you up. Sorry, Dave. You've only got value if your income level is up here. You know, if you, can, if you make this much money, you've got incredible value. But if you don't, then you, you... But we don't have as much value. 
Life is set up in such a way that it, it, it has this value system and it tries to say to us and it tries to impress upon us and it's there from the day we're born. You know, if you, you fail your HSC, well, you got less value than the kid who passed it and goes on to uni for the rest. There's this value system there. When we get distracted and we get caught up in that stuff, we lose our way. We lose our way. God wants us to stay focused. God wants us to continue the journey that we've started. We follow a resurrected God. I was at the beach the other day. We were down at Byron Bay. I went for a swim on Friday. It was a lovely day, Friday. Beautiful day. We went to Byron, took, took the kids down there. We were having a swim and uh, we swam for a bit. Then we got out of the water. We went and had some lunch, had some nice Mexican food for lunch. Then we came back to the beach because I had another hour or something on parking and I'm a bit of a sting. I don't want to waste that parking money. So we're not leaving until exactly 3.07. Because uh, I paid for that. I paid for that spot till 3.07, and that's, that's my spot till 3.07. Nobody's having it. 3.06 and a half right, get in. Let's go. We can go now. So we're there, and, and we went and had lunch, and then we come back to the beach for a bit more of a swim. And while we're swimming, there's this kid over here on a boogie board, and there's a couple of guys on a surfboard, and they're having a bit of fun in the water and surfing and carrying on. And it, what was funny was they were falling off, getting hammered, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, they were just getting creamed, had no idea what they were doing. So I'm standing there watching them, having a bit of a chuckle and a laugh. And then the boys came over and Jackie comes over and we're all watching them, having a bit of a laugh. But they were, they were a good group of kids. They were kind of laughing, you know, with us. And then one of them comes over towards us and starts talking to us. He was from, uh, from California. And he starts this conversation. Oh, you know, um, how is today? Yeah, we're good. I said, what are you guys up to? Oh, we're just here from Sydney and having a bit of a muck around, blah, 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 blah. And as we're talking, I noticed emblazoned across his chest is a massive tattoo says, oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. So I let him chat for a little bit, and then I turned to him and said, uh, mate, what's with the tat? He got a bit squirmy. He goes, oh, oh, well. Um, and then he starts to tell me the story. He says, I used to be a Christian. So I used to be a Christian. I was brought up in a Christian home and with uh, you know, Christian parents and family and used to go to church and go along to youth and all that sort of stuff. Matter of fact, I was a missionary. He said, I used to work for a church in California. He was about 24 years of age. He used to work in a church in California. I ended up getting involved in missions, and I was a missionary. And then he stopped, and he said, but a few things happened. He didn't tell me what they were, but he alluded to a few pressures, a few things. He just said a few uncomfortable things happened, and I began to question. But it's okay, because I've still got the values. He said, it's okay, I still have the value system and stuff, but I just don't believe that I need Jesus anymore to be like that. It was interesting. I said, well, let me tell you a little bit of my story. I said, I'm the complete opposite to you. I wasn't brought up in the church at all. I didn't go to church. I didn't have a Bible in my house. I had no nothing, no reference point for who God was or who a Jesus was. So I said, it's interesting to me to hear your story. So I shared a little bit about my journey, coming from where I came from. I was 15 years of age. And I remember leaving Mudgee. I was living out in Mudgee, uh, at West New South Wales. I couldn't live with my mother anymore because she was sort of off the scale. So I tried living with my dad. My dad was an alcoholic, so I couldn't live with my dad anymore. And at 15 years of age, I made a painful decision. I rang up my nana, my uncle and auntie. They were all living together here in a little town called Ballon. And I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't live with my dad and I can't live with my mother. I've got a sister, but my sister was taken by my mother and dumped at somebody else's house. And I don't even know where she lives now. She's six years younger than me at the time. She was nine years of age. And I rang up and I said, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out of here. Can I please come and live with you? And they said yes. And I remember being a 15-year-old boy jumping on a bus from Mudgee to Sydney. 
When I got to Sydney, I jumped on a train from Sydney up to Grafton. Then from Grafton, I got onto a bus, and I caught a bus from Grafton to Ballina. And I remember, at that point in life, 15 years of age, feeling like, what is there? What is there out there? What is there? Surely there's got to be more to life than what I see, taste, touch and feel. Surely there's got to be more to life than this material world, its value system, its performance base, its structures, the way. Surely there's got to be more. Surely there's a reason why in the middle of the night I can be going to the toilet and the hairs in the back of my neck can stand up, but nobody's there. There's got to be something going on. There's got to be more to this world than what I can see, taste, touch and feel. And at that desperate dark moment of my life, what I didn't realise was that Jesus was waiting in a little place called Balna to introduce himself to me. When I look back at my journey, I can see where God has been with me the whole time. I can see where I kept bumping into God, but I didn't realise it was him. This person here, that person here, this situation here, I didn't realise. But he was waiting for me. And I shared with this kid. And I said to him, I'll tell you what, mate. Here's one thing. If I can tell you one thing I've learnt in my journey with God, it's this. Put your faith in the character and nature of God, who God is, not what God does. Because what God does can change. That person's healed, this person's not. I don't know why. But I do know that it's the same good, loving, gracious, caring God who was at work over here. It's the same good, loving, caring Jesus who was at work over here. I don't know why things happen, and I don't know why some things don't happen. But what I've learned in my journey with God is that if I have my faith in the actions of God and what he does, I will throw the towel in. I will get distracted. I will lose hope. I will lose faith. But if I can keep my faith grounded in God's character and nature, the person of who he is, that loving God that sent his son to die on a cross, that loving God that was committed enough to raise his son from the dead, that loving God who loved me so much that he sat in heaven and went, you know what, I've got a dilemma here. I love mankind so much, but they've broken my laws. They've misused my grace. They've turned their back on me. There's one part of me called the, 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 the justice side of God that says justice must be upheld. Somebody has to pay the price for sin. And there's another part of God that's the goodness, the grace, the compassion of God. And God's there going, how do I uphold my justice but at the same time uphold my mercy? And he comes up with this thing called the cross. One man pays the price for the rest of us. Justice is upheld. Somebody's paid the price. But mercy and grace are upheld too because by mercy and grace, you can freely receive the forgiveness of God. You can freely walk back into that relationship. And if you got a little bit off center, you can come back anytime you want. And if you don't know God, he's waiting for you. You're not waiting for him because he's ready. And I shared with this young guy and he just looked at me and I said to him, I'm going to be praying for you, Aaron. You know what I thought about afterwards? Just a bit of a side thing. His parents are over there in California right now. His parents will probably never know that I had that conversation with their kid. His parents will probably never know that on a beach in Byron Bay on Easter Friday, 2016, Jesus was standing there having a chat to their boy. You see, God's at work. Sometimes we know what he's doing, sometimes we don't. I imagine the disciples at this point in time going, I don't know what's going on. I don't get it. I can't see 
a future in this. I can't see a way forward. I can't see a purpose or a plan in this. But three days later, Jesus is resurrected. Second thing that the angel says is to Mary is tell them that he's going before you. You need to know that because he's risen, Jesus is going ahead of you. He's preparing a way for you. There's nothing God's going to call you to do that he hasn't been before you. I love to go fishing, and I go fishing at a place called Agnes Waters, 1770. Anyone been up that way? It's a beautiful place, and I go up there. I used to go probably once every couple of years with a group of friends of mine. And uh, there's a, a, a big headland, a mountain there, and it's basically like a goat track, a real big hill goes down. And uh, the weather was bad, and we couldn't take the boat out one day, so we walked up to the point, and we decided we would go down. wanted to try to fish somewhere on the side of the mountain, but you couldn't get down. And one of us poked our head through some bushes, and we saw this path. It was a rough path. It wasn't a great path, but it was a path nonetheless. And so we grabbed our rods and we climbed. It took us about 15 minutes. We climbed down the face of this mountain and we fished all day. And just as the sun was going down, we climbed all the way back up, frustrated as anything, because we caught nothing and we did all that work to get down there. But that's another story. We climbed back up that path. You know what? Somebody had gone before us and taken all the major obstacles out of the way so that we could go down that path. And that's what God does is he goes before us in life. And he removes the major obstacles. It doesn't mean it's perfect. doesn't mean it's easy. There's still a bit of work, still a bit of effort and energy involved. But God goes before you and he clears a path so that whatever he's called you to do, whatever he's called you to be, what he's called you to achieve, it can be done because he goes before you. I'll get the news as to come back now. Philippians 4.13 tells us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not because as Christians we become superhuman but because we have a God who goes before us and removes the impossible obstacles. That's why all things are possible. Not because of how good I am, but because of how good God is. The third thing that the angel told Mary to tell the disciples was that you'll see him. You will see him. You will see him. Christianity is not about knowledge. It's not about philosophies. It's not a theory of living a good life. If God is resurrected, if Jesus is alive, then you'll see him. Let me tell you something. If I can't see Jesus, if I couldn't see God at work in the world, if I couldn't see God at work in my own life, if I couldn't see God at work in the world around me, I wouldn't want to be a Christian. Truth is, sometimes it's just too hard. Sometimes I hang out with people and it's not the most popular option. Sometimes my ways are not considered cool. I ask my kids about the music I listen to. I think I'm a dag. But hey, it's my music. Because Jesus has risen, God's hand will become evident to you if you just continue on the journey. Don't stop and eventually you'll see him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 8, Paul writes this. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here is the point of Christianity. Here is the pivotal point. If we believe this, we're on board. If we don't, we're not. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, 
then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, Paul says, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. That phrase, out of due time, literally means a miscarriage. Paul said, probably shouldn't be here. Shouldn't have the chance I have. Shouldn't have the opportunity I have. But I've got it because of the grace of God. 19 years of age, I stood on a roundabout in the middle of Kerr Street and River Street. Used to be a roundabout where them traffic lights are. 19 years of age, I stood there. I'd partied. I'd done this. I'd done all sorts of things. I tried all kinds of things. My background had shaped me and led me to believe certain things about myself, about the world. I wasn't brought up with a lot of discipline. I basically did what I wanted. And it got me to a place where one night I went out with my mates and we went down to the Rouse Hotel and we partied all hard and we went home and I used to live. There used to be a shell service station over West Balna, opposite where McDonald's used to be. Still got the, you still see the cement slab there, if you have a look. And I used to do jobs for the guy that owned that. And as a result of that, I, I had a caravan out the back and I run the power lead in there and I lived out there. It was a hangout. All my mates would get doled up and we'd all go back and crash at my caravan. I woke up one morning. I sat up in bed and I looked around and I saw all these bodies in my caravan. And this thought popped into my head and it was really, really strong. And the thought said, if this is all there is to life, why don't you go and end it? I'd had thoughts like that before, but, but never had the inclination that I could do it, if that makes sense. This morning, I sat bolt up right in my bed. I looked at all these bodies, and the voice was so strong in my head, I thought, I could, I could do it right now, because that's how empty I felt. And I tried and I'd searched in all kinds of areas, and I could not find purpose. I couldn't find meaning in my life. And it scared me. And I started to think along the journey since I arrived in Balnor even at 15 years of age. All of a sudden I started to think about these good people that had come across my life. Good people, great people who had spoken little things about God. I didn't understand a lot of it, didn't make sense to me. But all of a sudden I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe that's the one thing that I haven't really gone hard after and really, it's just been an incidental part of my world. It's just always been there, but I've never gone into it myself. I've never looked. I've never asked the questions. I've never searched. You know, God makes a promise in the Bible. He says, if you search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. If you seek me with all you've got, you will find me. And I started looking. And at 19 years of age, standing on that roundabout, I looked up to heaven and I said, here's the deal, God. I'm pretty convinced that you're there. I think you're there. But... I've got a couple of situations in my life right now, and they're big situations, and if I'm honest with you, God, I'm not going to change them because a part of me likes them. But God, if you want me, you change them. And if you can do that, and you're that serious about me, then I'll give you the rest of my life. Within seven days, within seven days of me praying that prayer, my world was turned upside down. Two situations that I would never have got myself out of because primarily I didn't want to get out of them. 
but I was in this spot of going, but I, I want to stay here, God, but I know the fruit of it. It's not working for me. But over here, God, you're offering me something else. And God, you need to help me because I'm fluctuating between these two things. And God was faithful. And he answered my prayer. And the rest is history. I believe today in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I believe that without today, without faith in the resurrection of Christ, we are wasting our time. The Bible says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of each of us when we put our faith in God. I don't know how God changes a human heart. I haven't seen the blueprint. I haven't read a book that explains. This is how he does it. Step one, step two. I don't know. All I can say to you is that he can, and he does. When we open up our heart and we say, God, do what you've got to do. Make me the person I need to be. And we surrender ourselves to him. Can we all close our eyes for a second? Everyone's got their eyes closed. This is just a private moment for you. This is just between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to get up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front of the church. I'm not going to do anything like that. This is a moment for you. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know where your life's at. The turning point for me was to just say a simple little prayer, God, come and do something. If this hope is real, if this joy is real, if I can really live guilt-free, if I can really find purpose and direction for my life, then God, you've got you to show me that. If you're in this place today and you do not know Jesus, you have not had a relationship with him, you've never surrendered your life to him, but something today in your heart's going, you know what, maybe, maybe this is right, maybe this is the answer. I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up in the air and just bring it back down. I'm going to pray for you at the end. I'm not going to walk up to you and bring attention to you or nothing like that because this has got nothing to do with people. This is to do with you and God. If you're in this place today and you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus or you'd like to cry out to God and say, God, if you're really there, then I want you to show me. Just throw your hand up in the air. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You know, if we could get just a glimpse of how much God loves us, there wouldn't be a person in this room who wouldn't want that love. Thank you, Lord. There's a second group of people I want to pray for this morning. You might be here and you might have once had that passion, that excitement, you've walked with Jesus. You've seen him at work, but somewhere along the way you got distracted. Resurrection comes in many forms. It comes in bringing the dead back to life, but can also come in resurrecting dreams, in resurrecting passion. It can come in resurrecting hope. If you're in this place today and you're in that boat, and you want to pray and just ask God, just resurrect the fire once I, I used to have for you, God, the passion I once had, the commitment I once had, Lord. God, that, that time in my life where I didn't care what anybody else thought because I was committed to you. If that's you in this place, just 
Throw your hand in the air, bring it back down. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you something. You're not alone if you put your hand up today. Thank you, Father. God, I just want to pray right now, Lord. I want to pray for each person in this room, God. Father, it is Resurrection Sunday, Lord. God, it's Resurrection Sunday. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, God, for each person that has responded. God, you know the intricacies of our heart, God. You know where our lives are at, God. You know the emptiness, God. You know the, the, the holes. You know the dysfunction, God. You know all that stuff. We don't need to talk about it and get into it, God. You know it. And Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would just touch every heart in this room right now. In Jesus' name. God, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be opened up to understand your love, your grace, your mercy, God. Father, that dreams that we've had, passions that we've had, God. Holy Spirit, I pray you would revive those passions in people's hearts again, God. Father, the visions, the dreams, God, the sense of calling and purpose that people had in their heart, God. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, just revive that passion, revive that sense of call. Father, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. They're irrevocable that we may have made turns to the left or to the right. God didn't throw the plan out the window. It's still there for you. It's still available for you. God didn't move away. You did. God's been waiting all along for you to come back on the path and continue that journey. Pick up where we left off and go forward from here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we all just stand? We had some people put their hand up to receive Christ in this place today. I just want to pray a prayer, and if we can all just pray it together. If we can all just pray it together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the cross. God, while I didn't care about you, while I wasn't interested in you, you died for me. That's amazing love. I can't fully understand it, Lord. But help me. Father, I'll make a choice today to follow you. I ask you, God, come into my world. Take a hold of my heart. Shape me. Mold me. Turn me into the person you want me to be. Open my eyes. Let me see my value. Let me see my purpose. Let me find my direction. Forgive me for taking so long. Doing things my own way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.